Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. One of the things um, that just recently I've come across is people uh, having doubts about the the Bible record, um, and the, and these are these are Christians, um, and so you know, for example. Um, I was talking to a friend and he's just uh, finished reading a book um, by Christians that are arguing, well, the flood wasn't, you know, worldwide. It was uh, it was just in, in, a, in a local area and, and so forth. And they, they talk about these ancient um, uh, heathen documents, um, the, such as uh, the, you know, the Gilmash epic and so forth. And I th- as I uh, thought about this in a, another, um, uh, just a little Bible study uh, group I was with, uh, folk were talking about, um, uh, well, we can't really know the, the date of the Exodus. And I, I, I commented, well, hang on, we, we can know the, the date of the Exodus with reasonably accuracy. And that said, oh, well, no, when we were at uh, Bible college, uh, there were some views that it was in the 12th century and some in um, you know, the 15th century BC and so forth. And I said, well, the Bible says when the Exodus occurs. And if we look in um, the book of Kings, first book of Kings, chapter 6, verse 1, we read that the uh, talks about um, building the temple, starting the building of the temple in Solomon's fourth year, and the Exodus was 479 years earlier. And um, so I guess we have to know what the, the year was when Solomon built his temple. And again, just looking that up on Wikipedia, you work it out what the fourth year be 967 BC, according to the, the latest information. And so that would put the, the Exodus at 1446 BC. And so it's interesting that these doubts are, are there. And there, of course, I hear so much too about, um, you know, Christians that don't believe in, um, in, in creation, don't believe in a young earth. And you know, and going across to different forms of theistic evolution or gap theory and and different other things just to get around it, um, what the what the Bible is saying. And this, to me, one of the things that I think this is pointing to is it's distracting people away from the whole teaching of the Bible that, God is going to put an end to sin. There's going to be an end to the um, to to this to this earth, and really, um, people have to have to in their lives make a make a decision for God um, or or not. That this life is just a a temporary life. Um, it's just temporary now because sin has come in. The original plan that God had in Eden uh, for us to live eternally and so forth was just totally upset by by Satan coming in. And, um, you know, and there's a whole lot of background there. And I, I think, of course, there's an excellent book 
that I, I think sums up um, this whole conflict issue, which is called the Great uh, Controversy that was uh, written by Ellen G. White uh, many years ago as she looked back through history. And I think that some amazing insights that explain. I'd certainly recommend that book to listeners. So it's called The Great Controversy. Um, between Christ and Satan is the subtitle um, between uh, by Ellen G. White, and I'm sure you probably find free copies on the on the internet um, if you just Google that uh, somewhere as download. Um, but I, I think her explanation, a bit of a background to evil, there fits so well with uh, and puts together the ideas. From the the Bible, the glimpses that we get between the battle of between Christ and Satan, as uh, recorded in the Bible, together with history um, down through the ages. And I was listening to a talk by the uh, philosopher mathematician David uh, Belinsky from Princeton Uni, educated Princeton Uni there. And one of the points that he made was that. Unless there's a judgment, unless there is accountability to a higher power, then um, there's no reason why people should want to do good things and if they can get away with being selfish and doing just what they what they want and 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 you know being bad, there's no real motive for being necessarily good. Um, People, you know, if they just act selfishly all the time, are going to want to hurt. If they're stronger, then why not just take from other people uh, if you can get away with it? And we know that, you know, many people do this legally, you know, through different uh, rorts and or, and these days, of course, we hear about scammers and all, all this sort of thing that is going on. And I think that when people... Um, have this view of, of evolution and, and so forth, it just takes away this, this whole concept that of, a, of accountability to, to God because, you know, we, we just evolved over millions of years, well, things are going to you know, continue on. But I think there's evidence in the Bible that um, we, we can see that, no, there is, there is a time limit for this. There, there is a time. When we read in uh, the book of Revelation, in John's book of Revelation on the 14th chapter there, we read from verse 6, John had this vision, in, and in this vision he said, Then I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth. And we note the gospel was the good news that God came as Jesus Christ and died on the cross to show us how terrible sin was and to take our place in terms of um, of, of dying because um, God doesn't want bad uh, wickedness and so it puts an end to it and that's why people die so that they can't continue perpetrating evil all the, all the time but God didn't want us to die um, he didn't want Adam and Eve to die um, of course there's I mean that's another big picture to read the story in, in the beginning of Genesis there how the, the trap that Satan uh, set for God when um, God, you know, told Adam and Eve that if they ate from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in other words, knowing about evil changes, don't eat from that tree. 
because evil had already begun with Satan's uh, rebellion in in heaven, as the Bible explains, um, also in the book of Revelation and um, in various parts of the Bible as well, it's revealed that. Um, and of course, when um, Eve spoke to the serpent in in the tree, and the serpent said, "Oh no, you won't die." When Eve believed um, Satan, that essentially was saying, "Well, God's a liar." When God said, "You will die," and so this was, you know, a very uh, difficult situation for God. But He loved us he, because so much. Of course, as we read in the Bible, right in the very first, uh, you know, chapter one of Genesis, that humans are made in God's image, and that. Um, of course, God had that plan then that he would die in our place so that if we choose God, if we choose to do the right thing, God can now give us eternal life. And, of course, that was the, 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 the good news of the eternal gospel, um, which was to be preached to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. And the angel then said... After that, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. And so we had this link together uh, that there is going to be a judgment, there's going to be an end to this planet. Um, As we read about, for example, in Peter, if we read in Second uh, Peter, Second Book of Peter, Chapter Three, uh, Peter writes, "But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is forbearing towards you, not wishing that any should perish." but that all should reach repentance. And that's interesting, isn't it? That all should reach repentance. In other words, turning away from the bad things that we're doing and saying to God, God, I want to be a good person. I want to be in your kingdom. I want to be on your side. And um, it goes on in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a loud Noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it shall be burned up. And of course, we know that um, you know people have uh, scoffed about uh, these things in in the past, because remember, scoffers you know often scoff at the flood and the Bible, and, and Peter writes about this too, um, talking about in the beginning of chapter three that the scoffers deliberately ignore the fact that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, that's creation, and an earth formed out of water and by means of water through which the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist have been stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And I thought it's very interesting that, again, we have Peter reminds us, oh, hang on, the world was destroyed at one stage by a flood. And this is, again, fascinating how 
As I said earlier, that uh, Christians are, are talking about, um, well, you know, maybe there wasn't really a global flood and, and this sort of thing. But I've um, been reading some uh, articles in uh, this other book that I mentioned that's just been re- recently published by Andrews University Press, uh, Design and Catastrophe, 51 Scientists Explore Evidence in Nature. And there's quite a few chapters there on the evidence for the global flood. Um, there's one by Dr. Uh, Elaine Graham Kennedy, and the title is Widespread Deposits, Evidence Consistent with the Biblical Flood. There's um, another chapter there by Dr. Raul Esperante, Worldwide Occurrence of Persistent Sedimentary Layers. And again, when we look at the structure of the earth, there's just so much evidence for um, the uh, for the global flood because these deposits that we find are on such enormous scale. They're worldwide um, of these sedimentary layers, uniform sedimentary layers with the same characteristics across the world. And um, um, I'll probably talk about that in more detail another time. But one of the things that fascinates me is that we know, we talk about the numbers, the days is a thousand years and, and so forth. And one of the things that has fascinated me in the Bible is the, the, the use of numbers in the Bible. And one of the th- other things is that we're made in God's image and we can understand numbers and mathematics. Now, when I went to uni, um, I was originally training uh, to be a physicist. I uh, did f- uh, physics and pure and applied maths. Um, it was later in my university career that I changed to uh, to chemistry and went on um, to do research um, and postgrad research in, in chemistry. But um, it's fascinating that mathematics and numbers come into so many things in nature. And there's a, a, a really fascinating article uh, written by Dr. Uh, Robert Hoskin, whom I, I know uh, quite well, uh, that um, he wrote in the book um, that uh, I edited called The God Factor, 50 Scientists and Academics Explain Why They Believe in God. And that was published by HarperCollins a few years ago now. But uh, I think it's, there are some fascinating articles in this book. It's called, as I said, The God Factor, 50 Scientists and Academics Explain Why They Believe in God and edited by myself. But Dr. Um, Hoskin um, talks about mathematics and the role of mathematics in nature. And um, he talks about coming across the findings of Leonardo Fibonacci. De Pisa and Fibonacci series of numbers um, provides, he said, a spiritual link uh, between mathematics and science. And he goes on that uh, Leonardo was born in 1175 AD in Pisa in the Italian city there. And um, Fibonacci uh, made a number of contributions to mathematics, including the Fibonacci series of numbers, which are one, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 
13. And how you get these is you simply add the last two numbers to get the next. So you start with 1, and then the next number obviously has to be 1 because the number before 1 is 0. So then you, so you've got two ones. And so you add those two numbers together, and then you get 2. And then the number before the 2 was the 1, so 1 and 2 is 3. And the number before the 3 was 2, so 2 and 3 are 5. And the number before the 5 was 3, so 3 and 5 are 8. And the number before the 8 was 5, so 5 and 8 are 13. And so forth. That's how these numbers are, are built up. But there's amazing connection between these numbers and designs that we find in, in nature. Um, for example... Uh, the series has been used to describe how, for example, rabbit populations expand and the arrangements of petals on flowers, uh, the structure of pineapples and pine cones. Uh, the Fibonacci spiral describes the shape of seashells. Um, on many plants, the number of petals is a Fibonacci number. Buttercups have five. Lilies and iris have three. Some delphiniums have eight. Uh, corn marigolds have 13. These are all, uh, some asters have 21. Daisies with 34, 55 or even 89 petals. And these are all Fibonacci numbers. It's amazing, these um, numbers. He says, further, if we take the Fibonacci numbers and divide each by the number before it, we will find the following series of numbers. 1 over 1 equals 1, 2 over 1 equals 2, 3 over 2 equals 1.5, 5 over 3, 1.66, and so forth. You get a whole series of numbers. And um, these numbers eventually converge on a, a value of around 1.6184, which is the golden ratio. Um, uh, often represented by the letter phi, not pi, but phi. So the curves in the Nautilus cell, the proportions of the classic buildings such as the Parthenon in Athens, in Athens, etc., have their beauty and ascetic appeal based on this golden ratio of 1 to 1.618. Um, so these are often used in design. And so it's fascinating, these, um, these numbers that uh, are associated in nature, the mathematics of uh, nature. Um, and it's, um, it's an amazing uh, article there that um, yeah, Dr. Hoskin goes into. But one of the things he then goes on to say, he says, let us now have a look at the use of numbers in the Bible. Why does the Bible consistently use certain numbers? And he says, consider the number 40. During the flood, it rained for 40 days and nights. Moses was 40 days on the mount. Nineveh had 40 days to repent. Christ was 40 days in the desert. Christ was 40 days on earth after his resurrection. The children of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And it's interesting. He writes, says that writing of the Bible involved uh, different people, a number of different people spanning thousands of years and many generations, and yet the same theme as evidence, the number 40 being in, used to indicate a time length of probation. And 
This is quite interesting. I thought that he brings this up, a time length of probation. So if we turn to uh, Luke chapter 4, we see where Jesus actually quoted from the book of Isaiah, and it's an interesting quote, and I'll I'll just read uh, from verse 16 uh, of Luke chapter 4. And um, it says, And he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And he went to the synagogue, as his custom was, on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And there was given him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives." and recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that, to me, is very interesting because he he talks about uh, the good news, proclaiming release to the captives, and liberty to those who are oppressed. And that refers to the Jubilee the Jubilee was, um, you read about in, in Leviticus there, was every 50th year there was release. The lamb was to return to the original owners and, um, and so forth. Uh, all debts were to be released. Um, and so if your family land had, had to be sold, you'd been taken, had debts and gone in and had to sell the land and so forth. The land was returned to you and all debts were forgiven at that 50-year period. Slaves were freed. It was a wonderful time. It's a year of jubilee and we don't hear much about it, this this 50th year. But, you know, one of the things, there are other periods in the the Bible too that, um, you know, the 120 years that Noah preached uh, before the flood and, and so forth. And one of the things that, uh, just stood out to me just recently was that I was doing some calculations on the date for creation from the data that we have in the Bible. And I just about fell over when I realised that Jesus' crucifixion occurred as close as I can calculate to exactly 80 jubilees or 4,000 years after creation. Now, we can't know the exact date for creation from the Bible because we have the dates of the, the patriarchs um, and the, the dates that the patriarchs begat their first child like, or the, the, the child that's mentioned, um, and we can add those up. But when we have those uh, particular ages, and they talk about being 60 years old, we don't know whether they were 60 years old, they just turned 60 years, or they were 60 years and a half or 60 years and three quarters, you know. And so that introduces an error when you're accumulating because if you have several half years, then adds up to one or two extra years in between. And so mathematically, the error is what we would say is plus 20 years. But when you add up the dates, it's so close to being exactly uh, 4,000 years or 80 jubilees. Um, between the uh, the date for creation and uh, Jesus' death on the cross. And if you want to check 
uh, these. I do set out the um, the calculation uh, in the appendix of my book, Evolution Impossible, uh, 12 Reasons Why Evolution Cannot Explain the Origin of Life on Earth. Um, in the appendix there, I set it out. But the, the text for you to look up and check for yourselves, uh, Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 to 25 and verse 32, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4. And then 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1. And then um, Exodus chapter 12, 40 to 41. And Galatians chapter 3, 16 to 17. And from these dates, of course, you'll, you'll need the uh, date for Solomon's fourth year. And I, I looked up Wikipedia and read some articles there for the date of Solomon's rule, and his fourth year would be 967 BC. And so using that, you'll calculate a date for creation, and um, there'll be an error of plus 20 years, so that will give you a range. And so the date that I got was uh, 3,959 BC plus 20 years. And you'll see that the date for the crucifixion uh, fits roughly in the middle of that 4,000 years later. So again, there seems to be um, uh, a really strong correlation there. And so this also fits with the whole concept of the um, uh, when we think of Jesus and his death on the cross as the Passover lamb. Uh, when the uh, folk uh, came out, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, uh, they didn't have faith in God and they ended up wandering 40 years in the wilderness. And so it wouldn't surprise me if... Um, the return, if God's judgment and the return of Jesus and we enter the promised land is 40 jubilees after the resurrection of Jesus and his death on the cross. So that makes me think that the second coming of Jesus and the judgment has got to be very soon. We can't know the exact date. We can't know the exact year. Um, but to me, from the mathematics of the Bible, it makes a whole lot of sense. And that's why this message is so important to get out to people. And it's, there's urgency to get it out because God is coming soon. And people need to make that choice and be told that that opportunity is there to make that choice and, and be saved. Remember... Paul admonished it, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's in Romans 10.9. And remember also that Jesus himself said, and um, we can read about this in uh, John chapter 6, verse 40. It's one of my uh, favorite ones where Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So this is such an important message. And I think the mathematics of the Bible 
really seems to support it. There's a lot more that we can talk about in terms of mathematics in the Bible, and maybe I'll save that for another day. You've been listening to Faith and Science, and remember, if you want to re-listen to these programs, just Google 3abnaustralia.org.au and click on the Listen button. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 